Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have with us on the podcast, John from Crisis Consulting International. I got to meet John in Springfield, Missouri in January. Him and some of his colleagues were there uh, doing a training for the organization that I serve with, on crisis and crisis and developing a crisis management team. It was valuable. It was insightful. They really did a phenomenal job discussing the realities of a theology of risk, uh, giving us some great um, take-homes on how we can develop a theology of risk and what a theology of risk is and what it is not. John and his colleagues just did a great job, and so I thought it'd be great to have somebody on the podcast. John has a great sense of humor, and so he agreed to be on the podcast with me. And one of the things that I wish that I would have asked him in the beginning, which I I get to in like minute 30, but I'm going to give you up front so it'll help you in this podcast, is I wish I would have asked him to share their definition of a crisis. And so their CCI's definition of a crisis is it's an undesired event that affects the organization's operations and the safety of those who work in the organization. It's over extended period of time, and it requires an unplanned commitment of resources. So that will be really valuable as you listen in. Like I said, I wish I would have asked that up front, but if I was a better podcast host, I, I would have, but I forgot to do it. So, and John was kind to answer it then. So you got it up front, their definition, that'll help you kind of give some um a point to understand when we t- we mention the word crisis, this is what we mean. So continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth. That's where we sit down with Dick Foth and curate those questions. It's always a, a fun time to be with Dick. Really appreciate his wisdom, his insight, his experience. And yeah, I learn something every time I'm with Dick. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with a new friend of the podcast, John L. John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you. John, we got to know each other in a training in in Missouri. You have a great sense of humor and um, you you kept us alive and active and uh, engaging in the session. So, But for those who do not know you, as I got to know you, could you just share a little bit about yourself before we jump into some questions? Sure, Aaron. Well, thank you for, again, for letting me be here. And it was really great to meet you in Missouri at the training. I don't know about the sense of humor, and I highly doubt it will come out here on this podcast. But nonetheless, uh, my name is John, and I work with an organization called Crisis Consulting International. And I've been serving with this ministry for about 19 years. And so I'm glad to share a little bit more about what we do. And I know you have a couple questions about what we do and how it fits into the work that's being done around the globe for the Great Commission. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. For sure. So, John, you mentioned Crisis Consulting International. Can you just share a little bit about it and then your heart for it? So you said you've been involved um, with it for 19 years. So that, to me, would say you have a passion and a desire to to care for people and to serve people in this way. Yeah. Could you just share about maybe your desire to be involved with it and then share about uh, CCI? Sure. Yeah, Crisis Consulting International is a faith-based nonprofit ministry that's been around since about 1985. And our ministry is to serve those who are going and sending around the globe, uh, involved in Great Commission work, whatever that looks like to them, whatever God has called them into. And we serve them exclusively in the areas of crisis management and personal security, organizational security. 
So those are the main areas that we we serve ministries in. And it's an all-volunteer organization, meaning that I'm a volunteer, and all the folks that serve with Crisis Consulting International are volunteers. They have either current or past careers in maybe security or crisis management or military or law enforcement, um, but want to give back. They have a passion for the Great Commission and seeing the whole church reach the whole world and so this is a, their niche in their area to serve those who are going and sending. So to volunteer for in an organization for 19 years, that, that's, a, that's a long time to volunteer. I mean, you said you're a volunteer. So your passion, you bring your skills and talents into this. And how's that p- passion maybe grown over the last 19 years? Yeah, so my background was primarily in law enforcement and, and corporate global security work. So I I had a number of years experience in that and still do, as a matter of fact, in, in involved in that in my day job, if you will. But uh, I increasingly became more passionate and aware of the, the need to serve uh, those around the world who are actually serve those who are serving others and reaching others and grew in my understanding over the last 20 years of the whole idea of just uh, unreached people groups and the task remaining and the fact that every believer really should be strategically intentionally engaged in God's global purpose. It's not just for certain people. And so as I understood this about God's call on every single believer, I became more involved in this ministry, Christ Consulting International, and just ended up sticking with it for this long. That's good. Well, and we're we're thankful that you you have and um, for your years of service for sure. So, John, one of the things we talked about in the training that we went through was this idea of theology of risk. And um, one of the 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 participants and uh, in that training, um, Kara, she mentioned, you know, our organization we had more of a theology of suffering rather than a theology of risk. And could you just share about what what the theology of risk is and how that ties into crisis management? Yeah, that's a great question. So we do we do begin all of our training sessions with some element of a theology of risk. And uh, this could be an in-depth study or a brief study, depending on the length of the training. But we feel it's important as a foundational idea and understanding of what we're, t- we're talking about when we talk about security and crisis management. And so... Really, the the whole idea is we don't come and tell people what they should think about their theology of risk, but we do we do help them engage and and think about it. And uh, you know, if you actually have a room full of like twenty people and ask them all their take to give their take on the Bible and what it says about safety and security, you'll probably have twenty five different responses and takes on what that sure. what the Bible says. So. So really, uh, the, the fact of the matter is the Bible has a number of examples of threat and risk and a number of responses to risk. And so we actually don't, per se, chase the whole idea of trying to be as safe and secure as possible. Uh, we, really, we really introduce the idea of what we think is a little more biblical, and that is being a good steward. Being a good steward primarily, first of all, of the only irreplaceable asset that God has entrusted to us, which which is people, starting with ourselves and our team, um, and also just being a good shepherd. So organizations who lead groups and people uh, should be good shepherds, and we think those are both biblical concepts and are much easier to grasp 
and and actually maybe more unify the idea of theology of risk than, than talking about safety and security, because there are varying viewpoints on what the Bible says about that. And so you said, you know, we're your focus is not that people can be as safe and secure as they can be. Um, how do you walk in that tension, John, of because you said also we don't tell people what to do and we're not telling people what to think. Um, we're just kind of laying out a, a framework or we're giving some thoughts and ideas and then they make those decisions. Can you just share a little bit about how you've come to that that um, conclusion or that place where you're not telling people what to do and you're not trying to be as safe and secure as you can be, but helping people walk in that tension? Could you just share a little bit about that? Sure, I'll do my best. I, I would say this, that um, it's not that we're not concerned and don't suggest to people that they shouldn't be safe or secure. Sure. Uh, we do think those are important. Yeah. Um, we do think that from a from a biblical standpoint, there are not a lot of prayers for safety. Uh, right. There there are there are prayers for other things. But but so there are there are passages about about safety. There is a passage in Proverbs about rescuing those being led away to death. Uh, there's the concept in Ezekiel of the watchman and even the, even the ramifications for that person not warning people of a threat. So there are some concepts there about safety. And we, of course, know of many instances where where people in the Bible, including Jesus and the Apostle Paul, uh, slipped away to avoid things at certain points because it was not their appointed time. So it's not about not being safe and secure, but it's it's really just more helping people to think through this whole process of what is their personal good. take on theology of risk. And then maybe even just as importantly, how about their whole team or maybe organization wide, but at least a team. You, I think it's important if you have a group of people working together in a particular place, city or region, that they actually they hash they hash this out, they discuss it. So they're they're kind of all on the same page. So when a really bad thing does happen, they're not on different pa- different pages in their responses. Maybe they have an understanding of where people are coming from. Uh, that's excellent, and that's what I appreciated, John. Is is we went through that process. You shared scripture as you just said of, of Jesus slipping away and Paul being let down, but then the also the idea of. At some time, they also um, gave their life for for faith, right? And so, how how you can walk in that tension and laid it out? It was, I think, the most balanced and more the most um, broad approach that I had ever experienced. And um, it was something I've been talking about since then. Um, just how it's encouraged me then to have those conversations with others that I serve with. And so, really, really appreciated that part that part of it. Um, so when you, we talk about, you talked about teams having this discussion about um, risk. So how can they pre- prepare for a crisis? And um, one of the things when we were in that, you talked about policy, risk assessment, contingency plan, and staff training. Could you just share a little bit about the, how a team can prepare um, for a crisis? Yeah, that's a pretty uh, big question. And yes, so, uh, yeah, we, that's why we have whole training <laughs> seminars on it. But it is, um, at, so. it, at a kind of a small bullet pointed sure. level, I would suggest that the the idea of crisis management versus personal security, if you will, uh, really should start at the organizational level and uh, the leadership level. So this is why in most of our crisis management seminars, we're training leaders. We're training those who oversee staff who are responsible for policy and procedure implementation, planning, uh, recommending or requiring training. And so uh, it really needs to be kind of from the top down. 
And so that's that's really one one big piece for an organization to be most prepared. And thus, any it's kind of a cascading effect where different teams are then more prepared for a crisis. Um, you did mention that uh, there are some components to this, and we would submit that policy development is a pretty important thing, knowing what your organizational policies are or having those in place in the first place related to crisis. Uh, risk assessment, which is really understanding, uh, we could talk more about it, but really understanding the, the, the risks in the environment for each place that, that the organization works, the team works. Uh, contingency planning is just actually uh, understanding those risks and then putting in place some plans so that uh, they, the team or the individual will know what to do in the event of a particular risk or threat that comes up. In fact, I should just as a side here, most of crisis management can be done in advance. Even though mm -hmm. crisis management implies you're managing a crisis that's underway, a lot of the work can be done in advance, putting those policies in place, risk assessments, contingency planning, and training staff. So whether that's organizational leaders on how to serve on a crisis management team and resolve a crisis, or training workers in the field who are in higher risk environments in the uh, areas of security, whether that's situational awareness or threats or violence or criminals or governments or terrorists. Um, so that's all, that all can be done in advance. And those are the components that you just mentioned that we talked about in our training. You, you, you said you talk a little bit more about it. Will you share just a little bit about risk assessment, maybe the importance of that? Yeah. So risk assessment is a process by which an individual or individuals or an organization I try to identify and assess the level of risk from various events. What, what risks are there to us in our work? And it may be highly specific to where we are and what we're doing. In fact, two organizations can be in the same exact city or region. And just based on the type of work they're doing, their risk may be different. Um, so identifying those risks and evaluating those, actually almost ranking or rating those with, with some sort of methodology um, and there are actually some components to go into that that we get into in the training, whether that's uh, understanding the impact of an event, because risk always chases impact to the organization, not necessarily an individual. And uh, the vulnerability of, of the organization to that event, are there mitigation steps that the organization has put in place against those threats or risks? And then uh, what uh, what's the probability of such an event? Because you can think of all the bad things that could happen, but the fact of the matter is it may only be one or two or three risks that the organization really needs to focus on to try to mitigate. So that's the process of a risk assessment, and we have uh, some tools for that and some training on that. Yeah. And so, John, training people need to be trained on how to do it, but do they have to be a security professional like you to do a risk assessment, or is that something they can learn to do? Like I'm a, I'm a nurse practitioner, um, you know, a West Virginia fan, uh, but I don't have it. You know, I've went through your training, but before that I didn't have any understanding of risk assessment. So is it something we can grow and learn about, or do you have to be police background or military background to be able to sit and do a, a risk assessment? I think there are some, are some benefits to having that background, but I would say that it is not required okay. because there are tools available that are end user friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, we have one, but there are others out there where uh, it just helps regular individuals to to process the risk assessment. Yeah. Uh, furthermore, I think uh, we sometimes get locked into this idea that risk is always relates to security 
Hmm. And a crisis could be just about anything. It, yeah. and, and it doesn't have to be a, a security event. It can be an environmental hazard. You know, yeah. it could be a tsunami or a cyclone, or we just had a global pandemic. It could be a reputational event at the organizational headquarters level. Yeah. There are a number of risks that an organization could face that have nothing whatsoever to do with a security background. And so um, I would say the answer to that, the basic answer to that is no. That's good. I appreciate that. And and I appreciate your uh, helping us understand that crisis can be a lot broader than than security. I, from medical background, I would say crisis could be a medical, um, something like that. We just, Turkey, I don't know how long after this will air, but Turkey, just with the earthquake, you know, that's a crisis in place um, that was not necessarily a security thing. It was a, a natural disaster then, obviously, that has created a crisis for, for those that are living and working there. Um, John, over the years, what have you seen that helps global workers prepare for a crisis or process it? And what what does not help them? Does that make sense? Maybe some best practices and some things you've seen that's helped and not helped? Sure. Well, I think probably the number one thing that would help workers in an organization be ready and prepared for a crisis is just to be prepared. Having those steps in place that we already talked about doing a lot of that legwork ahead of time. The problem with this idea of crisis management is that it's easily pushed to the back burner because nothing's happening. There's no crisis. Nothing's happened for a long time. We've we've coasted for this far, and so it continually gets pushed to the back burner. But being prepared, having those, those relevant policies in place related to whatever they might be, whether it's evacuation or media management or communication with family or payments of ransom or extortion threats or a number of things that could be related to a crisis, Um, having those completed risk assessments and contingency plans in place so teams know what to do when the event happens, Uh, trained up staff and continually refreshing that training. That doesn't mean every week, but, you know, every year or two, maybe there's new people that need to be trained. So also just understanding that knowing no organization is immune from a crisis. Sooner or later, something's going to happen. In fact, you could, we could make the argument that you're always either going into a crisis, in the middle of a crisis, or coming out of a crisis. And that could be stretched out over a long period of time. So those would be the things to do and be be prepared. Uh, some of the things maybe that that um, don't help, that uh, that hurt, are, um, push, like I said, pushing things onto the back burner and never actually getting to preparing for one. Um, and I'm going to put this in quotes, but trusting God to take care of us. Um, I would say that, of course, we trust God to take care of us, and he is sovereign, but he also asks us to be wise as servants yeah. and yeah, to be good sure. stewards and the, the, those good shepherds that we talked about, uh, waiting too long to respond to a crisis, not recognizing mm. that it is a crisis, mm. um, having the wrong people working on the crisis. We have a whole section in our training, and you were there, about who shouldn't be managing a crisis, mm. uh, maybe starting with a large organizational CEO, just yeah. because they have other parts of the organization to manage. I'm um, having more than one team work on a crisis. So um, you you can really have this problem of everyone trying to manage the crisis at one time, like a finger run through an ant trail. Yeah. And and everybody's running around in circles. And really the best practice is to have a team, a crisis management team, CMT, that's pre-identified, that has authority and responsibility to manage the crisis. And then, mm-hmm. and then take some steps that we talk about to resolve that crisis, understand, assess, contain, um, and then maybe a couple of the things would be just secondary crises that uh, that could come up 
whether that's yeah. a media event or a family event, um, and and mismanaging that secondary crisis. So those would be some things that don't help. Yeah. John, two questions out of that. Um, one, you talk about media crisis. So I'd like to ask um, that question. And then the other one you talked about was the idea that is it is it human nature that we just push things off? Because um, you mentioned, you know, we push it down the road, push around down the road and it never happens. Is that just human nature or is that? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Wow. Now you're asking a question that's above my pay grade, but I think uh, there probably is a tendency to procrastinate. I yeah. think a lot of people are very busy. Yeah. Some of that may be self-imposed, but I know a lot of organizations we've worked with and we work with hundreds where people wear a lot of hats sure. out of necessity because there's not enough people to do certain tasks. Yeah. And so they might have five hats and one of them is crisis manager. Okay. And so it just becomes a back burner thing. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's a possibility that that happens, I, and we've seen it happen many times. Yeah, that's good. And so media crisis, um, what do you mean by media crisis? Um, somebody's listening in that maybe didn't have, didn't have the advantage of going through the training that I went, went through. What, do you, what is a media crisis, and then how can maybe global workers play into one or not play into a, a media a crisis using media when that's going on? Is that a fair question? Yeah, so I think there might be two questions in there. One is uh, specifically just a media crisis, meaning, uh, and I would, you know, we might not call it exactly that, but some event that generates a crisis based on the media attention it garners. And it may or may not actually be a significant event. It may be the event itself isn't that major, but it becomes and it takes on a life of its own. And we've all seen it, you know, where a, a certain event, and maybe there are 10 events like it going on in our country. But one of them has its life of its own and takes on this national media attention. Sure. So that could be a media crisis, if you will. Uh, another one that tends to be a lot more common is where you have a primary crisis event that you're managing and the media gets a hold of it. And now that becomes the secondary crisis, meaning you're trying to manage the event, whatever that is. Maybe it's a security situation or some event going on somewhere, but the media is also at the doorstep with the vans and the microphones out front, wanting a statement, trying to, trying to get a story. And you, you, it's almost like a secondary crisis. And so there's a lot of training out there on, and we actually speak to it in our training about how to try to manage the media yeah, um, in a, in a good way. Like, in other words, you know, you're not trying to control them because who can control the media, but, but how do you, how do you shift that toward more of a, a positive story versus what, what could be a negative event? And that's one thing I appreciated too about the as we walk through the training, just the idea of you have multiple voices speaking into a crisis from their perspective. It can almost spin and create more, like you said, a secondary crisis. Because you, so I'm um, Aaron Sandemeyer. I'm he's going to give his opinion on it, and you know everybody's giving their opinion on it. And somehow it's it's our opinion, but a lot of times in my experience, people put our opinions as facts, right? So when we post on social media, we post, we tell people, we speak like we know the facts, but it's really our perspective and our opinion. And I really appreciated how you you all walked us through that, just to have a plan in place and just a response, you know, as you shared there, just to, to have a media response and somebody who's working with the media. So you said, we can't, you're not going to control the media but it can be planned out and it can be thought out and it can be a unified voice rather than a bunch of voices speaking into the same thing and kind of it swirling and uh, creating, creating more of a crisis in the process. So no good, good deal. So you good on that one? Yeah, that's well stated. I just never underestimate the media. 
<laughs> so impact of the media. You don't, you know, don't ignore them. Yeah. Uh, and there should be some advanced preparation for, for managing a me- the media during a crisis event. That's good. That's good. So what are some, maybe some misconceptions that you've seen from maybe global workers you've talked about, talked with, talked about when it comes to crisis management, or there's maybe some basic misconceptions or misconceptions about what crisis management is and maybe the, the importance or not importance of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think one of the big ones is that a crisis will never happen to us. Hmm. So that's that's a path that you don't ever want to go down because because at some point in time there will be a crisis event and that, it's, it's it's almost guaranteed that some event will happen. And if you planned and prepared for it in advance, maybe it's mitigated to the extent that it doesn't become a significant crisis because you've done all those steps in advance. But just assuming that nothing's going to happen to us, maybe because, quote unquote, it's never happened before, then um, then that could be grounds for a big problem. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, limiting, I think we talked about this, but limiting the idea of what a crisis is to a handful of events. You know, we think about kidnapping and terrorism and attacks or government detention and kind of those quote unquote security things, those could be definitely could be a crisis. But what about, as you talked about those earthquakes or the environmental events or the reputational events? I think uh, uh, if people are listening primarily in the U S they'll, they'll think of an airline, which I won't name, but in the, in the recent season holiday season had a major crisis event and it was not a plane crash. Yeah. In fact, that airline has never had a plane crash. Yeah, but they had a major crisis on their hands, and and we we kind of put maybe sometimes crises into a box, and we got to think a little bit broader that it could be something different than that. Uh, maybe uh, it's a worker in the field who runs over a child in the middle of the street, and it becomes a local media event. And maybe it's a place where uh, Christian NGOs and and faith based organizations are not necessarily well uh, liked or well received. And it could be it could pose a threat to the organization for their work in that place. So that could be another misconception that workers have around crisis management. Uh, that's good. You know, when we first our, we served our first term in Burkina Faso, and when we got there, I think we were there. The time frame obviously is fuzzy because that was 20, 20 years ago, twenty some odd years ago. But it, there had been a global worker there, and they had been involved in molesting children. And um, it hit the newspapers in in Wagadugu, and we had been there for 12 days. And it was a crisis because it, everyone was painted, everyone at that time that was Christian missionary was kind of painted with the same brush. You know what I mean? And even though it was a crisis for that person and for that organization, then it kind of painted the same brush for everyone around us. And um, it, it's it, I was new to the field, had no, you know, no idea. But all of a sudden you were painted with the brush that, hey, this guy did this. So, you know, we were looked at that maybe you were doing that, too. And um, Interpol was involved. It was in the newspaper for days. And um, it created a crisis within the global worker community because this person was respected in that community. And then it was, hey, they had interaction with my kids and they had interaction here. And it just created a swirling event um, that I definitely was not prepared to understand, comprehend or respond to um, as a young and I as a young worker. So um, very, very, very good points. And one that, as you said, I would have never thought that would have happened to me or, you know, I mean, that I would have been in an event like that. And um, a crisis is 
for sure they do happen. One of the things you you shared about too was about the understanding of the crisis resolution process flow. Um, how does that? How does an understanding of the crisis resolution process flow? How does that help us in, in a crisis? Yeah, so we speak to some steps to help organizations uh, kind of get their minds around resolving a crisis. So once you have a team in place, which is a big important piece, that's the people part of the process is then there's the kind of the resolution steps part of the process. And so without getting into all the steps, uh, because you would have to be at our training and spend time on that, uh, but we we provide a, a series of steps that isn't necessarily a recipe or a step-by-step guide, but some steps to follow. And uh, just, you know, as some examples for resolving a crisis, just recognizing and acknowledging that the crisis exists. I mentioned earlier that people, organizations sometimes wait too long and they made the crisis worse by not, by not uh, acknowledging it soon enough, uh, containing the crisis, just making sure it doesn't get worse. Uh, make, you know, we can, you can never unmake a victim, but you can always make more victims. Uh, that's what we say in the security training, and it applies to crisis management figuratively as well. Um, isolating the crisis so that it's not the whole organization isn't working on it, assessing it, um, having plans, planning your response, um, and constantly evaluating that, um, and getting to a place where you can actually close out the crisis. So the whole idea of crisis management is that it's an, it's going to require an unplanned commitment of resources to manage this event. If you already have a team in place to manage it, it's probably not a crisis by definition. So how do you get to a place where you close it out? Um, so we go through a number of steps that, that include those and explain um, how they might work and what they might look like in the process of crisis resolution. Um, and, it, and they have tended to help organizations over the years. Yeah. So, John, you mentioned there, and if I was a better podcast host, I would have asked you this question in the beginning. But you shared a definition of what a crisis is, and um, CCI has a definition. Could you could you just... Like I said, I should have asked that at the beginning, but I didn't. Um, how does CCI define a crisis? Yeah, that's a really good question. And if you were a better podcast host, we would have had it up front. But there's my <laughs> little sense of humor. So, you know, I, I think it's important before to answer that, that every organization does have a definition for a crisis because it's one of those words that's overused. It has all kinds of meanings. And so it's important for an organization and it's and, and those in the organization understand what we mean when we say we're in a crisis. Yeah. And so uh, we would say a, a crisis in an organization is an undesired event. And these are kind of ands, okay. but that um, that affects uh, the organizational operation, impacts the operation significantly in some way or threatens staff safety or both. Um, that is going to be extended in time meaning to manage that event uh, or the event itself is going to be extended in time. You know, with the earthquake in Turkey was a, was a fairly brief event, yeah. but the management of that is pretty extended. Yeah. Um, so, and then it's going to require, as I mentioned a moment ago, an unplanned commitment of resources. I mean, you don't already have a team set aside to deal with this. There's no department that handles it. Um, it's something that it's going to require the pulling of people from various backgrounds and functional roles to come together to form a team to manage that event, to resolve it, to close out that crisis and try to return to some level of normalcy. So that's the definition, our definition of a crisis. Um, other people might have another definition, but it really is important that an organization has their definition. 
So that the resources, would that be the the last part? Is that resources, human resources, would that be financial resources and other resources in, in the process too? Because if you weren't planning on it, is or is it or are we thinking the resources just more on a human perspective? Yes, to all of the above. Okay. Yeah, it could be uh, resources, meaning you, you're pulling various people from their day jobs over to this team to manage this crisis. Okay. And uh, in many instances, it's going to require logistical financial resources as well, whether that's whether that's equipment or that's communications equipment, travel, um, hotels or venue booking or right. uh, financial considerations to to manage that event. So yes, all to the above, all the above resources. That's good. John, I got two more questions for you. Um, second to last one is this idea, say we're a team leader or somebody on a team and they're working to look, do a risk assessment. They're, they're planning for um, a crisis. How does someone do that um, without instilling a sense of fear um, in the, in their team members? Cause you and I talked a little bit about this before I hit record and um, it's kind of a two-part question. One would be in the team members and then not having a fear of the country they're serving in or the people they're there to serve. Is, is that a fair question? Yeah, I think that's good. And I think it's probably important to remember that every single person has a different perspective on fear, on risk, on risk tolerance. That's not a word they probably use, but but really what what would it mean for me to not, to not work here, to have to leave? Uh, it, that can vary from person to person. And so it's really difficult to answer for every single person. Sure. But I think it's important to understand that, um, you know, not, you know, not every single person that they're serving, in fact, the high percentage of the people that we would say they're beneficiaries of whatever the ministry is is doing, uh, whether that's a church planning or some humanitarian work, um, uh, you know, are, are a threat. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's uh, it, it's usually an isolated, independent uh, group. That doesn't mean that an individual in that group isn't capable of something or even an opportunistic type of thing. Um, but not every single person is a threat. And I think a lot of people understand this. Uh, maybe there's a threat from the government. Maybe there's a local criminal or terrorist element that, that they need to be concerned about. Um, I also think that leaders in organizations, just by the mere fact that they're planning for and preparing for crisis events, training staff, um, demonstrate to their to their members that um, they are they genuinely care about the well-being of their people. And um, and so most people, it's it's the opposite effect. It's not, oh my goodness, they're doing all this. Maybe something bad is going to happen. Maybe we have a higher level of risk than they're really telling us. It's really the opposite. It's they're, you know, they they genuinely care. And we 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 in CCI regularly have people come to our security training quite nervous about attending the training, very fearful and, and, and being of the unknown of what they're going to experience in the training. And by the end of it, they're so thankful. They're like, you, you just, I feel so much more confident now about going out and serving. And so I think that's really important for leadership to understand that uh, taking these good, these stewardship steps of training up people, informing people, um, taking risk seriously and taking steps to mitigate the risk for the sake of the team and the work and the ministry. I mean, it's really a, a kingdom thing. Yeah. Um, I think it really does help. So I don't know if that answers it, but yeah, it does. But I think that my experience is that really helps uh, with workers. 
And, and neg- you know, I've, I've, I've said frequently since the training, negligence is not a plan. You know what I mean? And so we do want people to go in and plant the church in some very difficult places. That's it. But we can't we can't be negligent in the process. And I think um, by preparing, by asking these questions, having a plan in place, that shows that we care and we're not being negligent and uh, and providing a duty of care for the people, people we serve and the people in the organization. And I do agree with you. It does. I think it gives people a sense that hey, they've that people thought this out. There's a plan in place. There, are, there's some forethought put into this, and it does have a, a calming effect, um, knowing that they, you know, we're not going to be shooting from the hip or are trying to figure this out in the middle of a crisis that um, we weren't, you know, uh, we're not prepared for. So good, good deal. Yeah, that's excellent. You answered the question better than I did. So no, I no, no, no. I, I, no I did No, yeah, I got. I had some time <laughs> to think about it. So um, no, and good. I learned, for, and I learned from you. So that's uh, that's that's uh, the thing. One last question. I didn't know if we were going to have time um, when we were talking about media. Um, I wanted to ask it then, but I didn't. I didn't know if we were going to have time, but we do have time. So, so what are some key points that you would say to Aaron Santamar? He's uh, he's on the field in Kenya, and um, what when there's a crisis? What are some do's and don'ts in generalities? I know you. It, you it's hard to say specific because context. I learned from you. Context is always important. Um, but what are some do's and don'ts in general when it comes to a global worker? Uh, on a field when it comes to social media media um, yeah some do's and don'ts is that fair yeah so i think and there might be two questions uh i think the social media okay component is more of a security consideration okay for teams uh, for individuals what uh what are you what profile are you projecting on social media which probably is a separate question so i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of go back to the traditional media question of if there is a media inquiry about an event to the organization, maybe that come, maybe that's presented to an individual in the organization. Sure. First of all, I think it's important for organizations to have a media policy, okay. which we already talked about, meaning that um, if someone approaches any member of the organization from the media and asks a question about an event going on, they know what they're supposed to say, yeah. uh, which is generally not no comment and or too many comments, <laughs> meaning that they say, let me help you connect you with the right person. Okay, And then you don't have various people out there giving various, quote unquote, uh, source close to the, the situation right. has revealed that, you know, it's it's uh, it's there's a media protocol in the organization. There's probably in most organizations or there should be a person or persons who are trained up and that's their job. Yeah. Um, so that would be from the individual worker, from the organizational standpoint, you, you certainly, as I mentioned, don't want to ignore the media, pretend like they don't exist. Um, you certainly don't want to lie to them. Okay. You may not give them all the information, of course, but you don't want to lie. Um, you also, and I'll just say this, you, you don't necessarily want to trust the media. Um, you mean, uh, meaning that they, they might, uh, they might take a story and run with it that you didn't expect. Um, don't just don't underestimate the media, mm. uh, their impact, both positive and negative. And mm. the media can be, can be used to present a positive from your event. Okay. And so there are actually organizations out there, Christian organizations, which train up organizations on media management. Mm. So um, I could, you know, if someone wanted to find that out, I could get that information to them. Yeah. Um, you, do, you definitely want to be prepared for the media, especially in certain events. You know, in an earthquake, you may not be too concerned. But if it's a reputational thing going on specific to your organization at the headquarters or leadership level, you want to be ready for that. If it's a kidnapping or event that happens to a worker 
uh, you want to be ready for that and, and understand your media strategy. Um, and I would also say there are just some best practices with in speaking to the media. You know, you don't want to speculate. You want to have a basic statement and stick to it. So there's a lot of kind of best practices that that we get into in our training, but other organizations actually do a really good job with that too. John, what are some reasons no comments, not the, cause you mentioned, Hey, no comment or something else. You know, before I went through your training, I thought that would have been the right answer was no comment. You know what I mean? But what are some reasons that's up? That's not a, I understand now, but I just wanted to ask you. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, no comment might be the strategy that, that every person, most every person in the organization should should take, but that's not the right phrase necessarily. Okay. Uh, because if you put the picture of putting the hand in the microphone and saying no comment while you're turning away projects the appearance of guilt, perhaps, Okay. Um, that you're trying to hide something. So a very open response. I'd be glad to help you. Let me get you in touch with the right person. The person's name is such and such, and here's their contact information, and they'll be glad to help you with that question. Okay. And, and they may say no comment in their own professional, skilled, <laughs> trained way, but it's not the person out in front of the building uh, yeah. with their hand up to the microphone. No, that's good. That's good. Hey, John, it has been an honor to spend some time with you today. Will you pray for us? Will you pray for those that are listening in that the wisdom and insight and experience that you shared, um, that will it won't just be knowledge. There'll be things that we put into action and that will be wise stewards. You used the word steward um, several times throughout this podcast, and I think that's a, a highlight I take from it. So you just pray that organizations will be good stewards and uh, the global workers on the ground will also will also follow that model. Absolutely. Yeah. So Lord, we just come to you and thank you for this opportunity to have a conversation about just being wise and being good stewards within the ministries and the work you have called us to. And for all those listening, Lord, I I pray blessing over them in this whole area that you would give them a sound mind to help them be that good steward of the only irreplaceable asset, which is people and to be good shepherds for those who are in leadership and to have the right things come to them at the right time as needed uh, so that um, maybe they don't remember every single thing that was talked about, but maybe there's something, Lord, as it comes up. Um, of course, we pray that no bad things happen, but we know we're in a fallen world and things do occur. And so give them the right response, the right wisdom at the right time. Um, we thank you that you have given us the privilege of serving with you uh, in your in your endeavor to to reach all nations and we just thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus name amen